Hello and welcome to another episode of SolarWinds Tech Pod. Today I'm joined again by Chris, my co-host, and we are joined by SolarWinds Staff Product Marketing Manager, Ashley Adams, as we discuss what observability means to me. Ashley, thanks so much for joining us. I'm especially pleased to have you join as my friend and esteemed colleague. So Ashley, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for including me uh, on this podcast today. Happy to be here. I've done a couple of these uh, for fun with friends uh, on different topics out in the world, but uh, always happy to speak on the side of uh, solar winds and technology. Excited to kick this off. Awesome. So today we're going to be talking about all things observability. Um, and we have a couple of questions to get you kicked off with. So um, from my understanding, and, and I want to do a little bit more introduction for you, Ashley, is both you and Chris work um, from our product marketing side in the observability space. Uh, we got a couple of specific products uh, that you guys can both represent. Um, Ashley, would you mind telling us a little bit more about what you do and, and how you represent uh, the products in, in our observability space? Absolutely. Yes, I uh, came to SolarWinds about three years ago and actually come from more of a traditional um, cybersecurity background, so held many different positions, uh, monitoring our, our data centers and working in business analytics functions and communications functions and found my way into the world of product marketing about five years ago and was very happy to join uh, the team back when we were just introducing observability uh, to the market, what that means for SolarWinds specifically. So I am, yes, on the team that represents our hybrid cloud observability product, along with Chris, my esteemed colleague here. And uh, yeah, we're just really very uh, excited to see the evolution. I think that's a word that will come up a lot here, the evolution of what, um, you know, monitoring and, and SolarWinds in particular being the, you know, leading industry number one network mo infrastructure monitoring uh, tool out there to uh, evolving into an observability space. I think that's going to theme super well with our topic today. Yeah, so super excited. And, and your introduction to your role goes really well in bringing up the term evolution goes really well with exactly what I think we're going to be seeing. Um, so I guess a great place to start is to you, Ashley, what does observability mean to you? So in thinking about this, um, I think like everything, people can kind of interpret things uh, to mean what they, they want it to mean. But observability, like I said, really what we think of traditionally as uh, monitoring is the evolution, the next step, the next phase of that. Uh, it's definitely a very present buzzword uh, within the industry, but uh, we really, you know, I, I, I really do see it as the next kind of critical part of the future of IT. Okay. Chris, I want to pose that question, the same question to you. What does observability mean to you? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, just to, to layer on to what Ashley said, it's really being able to understand what's happening all across your infrastructure, your network, to be able to correlate those insights in one easy, clear view in one space. I think that really helps both like internal and external stakeholders because you want your users to be happy. They need to be able to access all the information centrally. Uh, and hopefully as a side effect of that, it means our customers are happy because our systems are working as they should. So that's kind of my interpretation as well. Um, so on the note of evolution, I already know the answer to this 
part, but the reason I'm asking is so that you can expand on it. Um, is observability just another word for monitoring? So I love this question because uh, I think it's it's kind of good to think of monitoring as the foundation for observability. They, they're definitely not synonymous. Um, if you think of monitoring as being a bit reactive to what's happening in your system, uh, I would say that you can think of observability as more proactive. So it's helping to better explain why something is happening and then on top of that even provide actionable insights. So uh, not is my system working, but what is my system actually doing? And um, by that, I think uh, you're able to kind of collect and enrich that monitoring data. Uh, so we don't disregard monitoring, but we think of it as the the base layer actually for observability. No, that makes sense. Um, do you wanna add anything to that, Chris? I think you you covered that off exactly really, really well. The only thing I think I would, would add is is that AI ops is, is a big part um, that differentiates, I think, monitoring and observability. I think a lot of customers, and I don't want to jump ahead because I know we're going to be talking about AI ops later, so I don't want to spoil anything. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, that adding machine learning and intelligence is another layer that differentiates those two. I guess a good way to keep this this part of the conversation really introducing observability is, you know, it's it's clearly not just another word for monitoring. I know we we teased at it and people can can joke that it's a, you know, it's a buzzword that's out there a lot right now and I think that's one of the reasons that we want to kind of peel back some of the layers and help break down why it's a buzzword, why is it uh, exciting. Um so as we continue to expand on it, I'm going to ask you to help explain it in such a way as to describe it to me like I'm five. Can yes. you describe observability to me like I'm five? I know I know. Chris and I pondered a lot of different ways to approach this one. Um, I'll start by saying, um, you know, coming from a background in security, the word or the term zero trust was absolutely ubiquitous everywhere, still is. Um, and I think that kind of poses a good example if you're if you're in the industry and familiar with these types of terms, because we really want to think of observability as an IT concept or a process or even a journey, if you will, rather than just a product per se. Of course, there are many vendors out there who sell observability products, but what does that mean in the larger sense? Um, I know we've come up with lots of different analogies, but one that was brought up to me when I was trying to first wrap my head and understand it as well is uh, one of the things that we really uh, appreciate that observability does for customers is uh, this idea of tool consolidation. So having that full stack visibility all in one place and the explain it to me like I'm five analogy that goes along with that is imagine if you are sick and you have to go to the drugstore, your local CVS or Target or Walgreens or what have you, and taking the time to uh, self-diagnose yourself, pick out uh, different items across the aisles, whether it's a pain reliever or a Band-Aid or um, eye drops or sinus medicine, whatever it is having to uh, manually kind of put all those things together to get you to a, a state of health uh, can be very time consuming. Uh, and, and sometimes you don't even know what it is you need. And I think of observability is the the way to kind of have all of these tools in one toolbox, like a first aid kit. You know, it's, a, it's the one-stop shop where you've got everything covered. So 
it can not only help you when something goes wrong uh, in current time that you need to pull out of your first aid kit, but also helps kind of set you up for the future, right? You've got things there that might go wrong in the future that you can reach into. Um, so I've always kind of liked that one uh, for that segment of it. But Chris, I think you've you've got a couple other analogies that you might want to expand on. Yes, but I'm going to throw it to Sean first, just because I know, Sean, you have like a health-related analogy. So I just think that would tie together so well. So I'll, I'll let you go first and I'll, I'll go after you. Yeah, sure. I appreciate that. So um, yeah, you brought up going to the health store, or, uh, you know, a drugstore to to pick up, you know, some some products to remedy, which I think is a good component of this, because like you'd mentioned, AI ops, um, that's part of the observability concept. Um, but when I was trying to break down, mostly to identify the difference between monitoring and observability, um, an analogy that helped me was going to the doctor, um, and I have a specific uh, scene in mind. Um, and we're not too far away from Christmas, so I feel okay bringing this up, but, uh, Tim Allen, Santa Claus, right? When he's first transforming from, uh, I think it's Scott Calvin into Santa Claus, he goes to the doctor. He's got a beard, he's got a gut, uh, his hair is turning white and he can't figure it out. So they have him run on a treadmill. They, uh, check his pulse, his blood pressure, right? All of those metrics are monitoring tools. Um, and they were putting many metrics together to tell a story uh, of observability, observing his overall health. Um, of course, they couldn't diagnose that he was turning into Santa Claus, so maybe not the best analogy, but it's the visual concept of all of these different things together, right? Um, so, you know, having that squad of doctors, the squad of, of specialists, um, all feeding into the results of what is your health, right? How do we diagnose um, and then remedy this, which is where the drugstore part came in. Those, to me, again, help mostly break down the difference between observability and monitoring because we're using the results of monitoring together from multiple sources, like you said, tool sprawl, consolidation in that sense, um, to generate a picture because a patient, you can't tell them necessarily, here's your blood pressure. It may not mean anything to them. So the blood pressure plus the pulse plus other vitals create a observability picture, uh, a health score, so to speak. So there's there's my analogy with it. And it was just, again, to help me best understand how is this an evolution from monitoring? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think both of those are really great analogies. And I love that you both, your minds went in the same direction, kind of thinking about health and and that kind of that kind of visual. Um, when I think about describing it to describe it to me like I'm five, I mean, if you look at the word observability, it's literally a mash between two words. It's you know, it's literally the ability to observe. Um, so I think that really thinking about it in that concept um, and the way that I had thought about it myself um, was thinking about pieces of a puzzle. You don't know what the final picture is going to look like, but you might have an idea of an individual component that you're looking at, but you you just won't have the answers until you connect them, until you're able to see the full picture. So I think that that's really the crux of observability is being able to have that end-to-end -end oversight and visibility and be able to connect the data in your environment. I think that that's the theme, seems like the theme for all of us. And I think that that's, that's really important. Ashley, I picked up on something you said earlier, um, you know, and it was kind of a pick at the English language. Some people sell a product 
called observability. And observability is also, in a sense, its own verb, a practice of observing. Um, so, you know, folks are using the term differently throughout the IT community, uh, besides just, you know, a noun and a verb. Or, you know, are there different ways we can think of observability? Or are there different ways people are using the term? I think in answering that, it comes back to kind of kind of what I said. I mean, analysts uh, still disagree to some extent exactly uh, how we should be defining that. And I think what's interesting about observability is that the I think the market will end up kind of shaping how it is understood and even consumed. Uh, and I think what kind of drives it is the customer challenges that we all are aware of and are very uh, cognizant of. That's that's what's been driving the need for something that goes beyond monitoring. A digital transformation is is huge. And I think that kind of brings us to why people are talking about observability in the first place. Yeah. And that's, I think, a perfect place to lead us to next. So well done, intended or not. Um, that obviously with it being an evolution, it feels like a next step. Um, and if, if you're not trying to grow, if you're not trying to mature, then what are you doing here? Right. So we always want to go there. I mean, and that brings up the, the question of, of why. Um, there's, I'm imagining several reasons, but cloud in general is one reason, because when we talk about monitoring, monitoring historically is much more local and infrastructure centric. Whereas with, with the cloud world that we are living in, right? The hybrid world, right? It's not just cloud. It's a combination of both. Um, there's so many things that make up different services that we provide. So, um, yeah, if you can expand on why are people talking about observability so much more now? Why has it become trendy? I'd love to hear. Yeah, absolutely. So digital transformation, we know, is just accelerating across organizations of all sizes. Like you said, um, we, we know that the technology landscape that's powering that transformation just becomes increasingly complex. And I think sometimes we forget uh, what the IT world and environments looked like in the early 90s when everything came from one point, one super centralized, potentially physical uh, work office environment and uh, the way we operate today in an increasingly global world in a on-prem and hybrid uh, cloud world and a cloud world or a cloud native world. Um, you know, imagine that most technology landscapes have hundreds of different cloud services thousands of infrastructure nodes, hundreds of applications and databases. And how do you have that true visibility across all of that at the same time, um, mitigating kind of the the challenges that brings up that, you know, comes from that. So, you know, you, you either have information silos where, you know, only you can only see one part of the business at a time, or it brings up the need for a lot of manual root cause analysis, again, which is extremely time consuming. And then in turn, it kind of like rolls to the customer where that gives poor service delivery, puts them at a higher risk and a higher cost uh, just for them to maintain um, an overall low productivity, which are all things that we're trying to avoid on a daily basis, of course. Yeah, and I think um, just to piggyback off of that, it really hammers home why observability is important, which as Ashley mentioned, it helps increase visibility. You get intelligent alerting to filter through some of that alert noise. You get to streamline your workloads. Um, and of course, 
one of the key use cases, uh, as you mentioned, tools consolidation. I think that those are all really compelling use cases as to why it's important, why people are talking about it and, and why it's very top of mind um, in the industry at the moment. Yeah, I know we've mentioned tool sprawl quite a bit, but just to expand on that a little bit, about just thinking about um, organizations that have potentially either uh, been acquired or have acquired other businesses, they have legacy tools that have been around for a long time, in addition to adding things on, uh, on top of each other. And uh, thinking about a team that would just have to develop and maintain skills in operating several different environments rather than having all of that in one in one place again giving you the true uh, observability that you're that you're looking for again it, it just comes down to um, cost and productivity issues which like I said kind of leads into um, you know looking out for what the end user is experiencing whether that's you know missing SLAs or SLOs um, and you bring up the idea of uh, uh, looking at costs through fines and things like that. So what observability can do, uh, not only for ease of a, an organization for themselves and their teams, but also how it kind of affects the end user down the line. That's actually a, a really strong way to, to ask who uses observability. Um, so, you know, you mentioned, you know, the consumers, you know, obviously it can benefit the consumers. Um, but if we talk about the product, the the verb of observing, who's who's the primary user of observability? So I would say that ultimately anyone, because in in uh, in an IT uh, environment, it kind of speaks to a lot of different uh, personas. It touches on uh, almost every part of the business in a way. So I think, uh, especially at SolarWinds, we've traditionally spoken a lot to the user themselves, the IT pro, the network admin, the infrastructure admin. And that goes back to a lot of the things we mentioned in terms of gaining more functionality. It makes their day-to-day -day job easier, you know, offering uh, quicker uh, troubleshooting and less downtime. But then for people who work in even a finance department or a procurement, um, you're looking at things like um, overall, just uh, having kind of uh, streamlined licensing options potentially. And then on a C-suite side, um, you want to look at the what we mentioned in terms of consolidation of tools, integrated reporting dashboards, uh, kind of an overall return on investment and better business agility. Those are all things that uh, IT managers or people who are looking at the bottom line care about as well. So lots of folks. Lots of folks. Lots of folks. And then, you, and then you've got like in the SaaS world, you know, observability, the, the products that Chris and I look at after our um, more on-prem or hybrid cloud, but in the cloud native SaaS world, uh, DevOps profiles as well, you know, creating those custom applications. So yes, it's, it's, it's a wide variety of different IT user profiles. So of all of the ingredients that make up the meal that is observability, um, we need to talk about not just what it can do in the sense of showing us the picture, right? Completing the puzzle, so to speak, like like Chris mentioned in her um, idea of representing observability, but the remediation aspect of it. Because observability, if we're going to go end to end, isn't just the picture that it's creating, but it's assisting in the diagnosis and then potentially taking action. Fingers crossed, right? That's what we're hoping for is, re you know, reducing the the input that we have to provide to to fix this stuff that's more efficient so 
what can you expand on for us? You know, how big of a role um, and what what parts of of uh, technology come into play when we're talking about the diagnosis or remediation? So in terms of having AI ops and anomaly-based alerts, it's all about uh, freeing up time. So really kind of pinpointing where an actual change is within a complex service that might be degrading the user experience. And then uh, looking at things to do things like speeding up the resolution of domain-specific IT operations, increasing focus and prioritization over the organization as a whole. Um, it just kind of having that detection and alerting and going back to thinking about, uh, explain it to me like I'm five, it's an IT example, but it's, it, it's still hopefully pretty easily understood. You know, one of the things that, uh, we talk about is just knowing what is uh, regular, what is normal in an environment and then having uh, alerts, it's all about uh, reducing that alert fatigue. So just because there's a spike in the environment doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. It doesn't mean mean that it needs attention at every given second. Uh, so if you have an or you know a team that does a backup every Thursday and it kind of spikes the the system, okay, that's cool. You know it's happening every Thursday. But then if that same team has alerts going off on a Saturday morning at six a.m., that's your anomaly. That's that's where you know something something is up. And being able to differentiate between just an influx of hundreds of thousands of alerts probably, uh, uh, you know, potentially into the ones that really matter and that need investigation. Uh, that's where AI ops, I think, can be super valuable to observability. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And quite frankly, the thought of thousands of alerts just makes me shiver. I just think, oh, gosh, I really, I can really feel for the people that, that have to experience that in real time. And I think that AI ops really just continues to play such a huge role. We had spoken about it a little bit, um, the rise of AI in our last tech trends and predictions episode with, with Sasha and Crystal. And I think the reason it's cited as a trend for this year and beyond is because a lot of customers are quite frankly looking to invest in solutions that can automate collecting and analyzing data. Um, so as Ashley said, they're looking to save time. They want to rely on software to, to make predictions for them or point out anomalies um, because it, it helps them focus on the most important and most impactful activities in their day-to-day. -day, um, and it also helps them solve issues faster and pinpoint pinpoint issues in their environment. So yeah, you're absolutely touched on everything that I was going to say, Ashley. <laughs> as, as well as like f future predictability, right? To um, capacity workloads and, and that kind of thing. Not only not only responding again to what alerts you might have in real time, whether they're anomalies or not, but having the uh, capability to to have to have a system look into the future, be able to um, plan out workloads, uh, which also again always relates back to cost. People love money, trying to save those dollars where you can. Um, so I think it's I think it's a really interesting uh, space that again touches on many facets of an organization, not not only the people that are using them on a day-to-day -day basis. So I feel like we've done a fairly thorough job of trying to introduce it, not just as a concept, but as a potential product. Um, Ashley, if you can just again, real quickly summarize, why is it important? So I would say that the thing that organizations should be taking into consideration as they continue to monitor, but if they are on that cloud migration journey at any stage, really being able to properly 
plan and assess what that looks like, go into the migrating and validation stage, and then really get up to running and having true observability in your environment is uh, a complex process. And the tools that observability offers to make sure that those things go well and set, set your organization up for future success are you know, very, very critical to, to staying on top of, of what's happening in the IT market today. At the end of the day, we're, you know, we're trying to, uh, all make sure that we're able to offer, whether it's, you know, faster time to resolution, that team collaboration and, uh, less time spent on manual tasks. I think observability really captures those things and, uh, we're excited to keep seeing it grow. You brought up something I think is really cool. When I think about IT, one of the things I've referenced in in past episodes is uh, that IT kind of became a thing on accident as the result of this tool's doing something for me to now it's an organization that lives and breathes. And Jurassic Park's one of my favorite references, right? Watching watching uh, Nedry uh, take down and release a Tyrannosaurus. But anyway. So what you brought up is is something that's interesting. Monitoring was not something that came out along with the tools that it was monitoring. Monitoring came out as a result of outages and needing to monitor them to help try and prevent downtime or increase uptime and tell a story and you know make comfort to to shareholders even. Um, so what we have here is an opportunity. So you mentioned right as you digitally transform, meaning you have a chance to, as you are evolving your processes, your business model, right? As you're digitally transforming, you have an opportunity to put new capabilities like monitoring and observability in place with your growth rather than reactively uh, transforming and then going back to see how it's performing once you've got it in place. So you, you can implement it the right way. And I think that that's a, a neat thing because we're now in a, in a place where we're thinking of supporting practices to the technologies that we're releasing at the same time, rather than reactively creating them uh, as a result of need. Um, and it is, a, in, a, in a sense, a little bit reactive, right? But there's so many organizations out there that have the opportunity to do them simultaneously so that they're building a smart infrastructure for their on-prem and, and cloud, their hybrid world as they're transforming. Absolutely. Adaptability, I always say, the the ability to embrace change. Things, you know, it, the second you think you've got a hold on something in life and in IT, you know, you you will be surprised by something else around the corner. So having the the tools in place to help you go with the flow and uh, manage that along the way is is a great thing, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so, Chris, what should it mean in the world of IT? Well, I really think observability is here to stay. And I'm sure, actually, you'll agree with me. I think that it's it's something that's going to continue to evolve. And different companies, especially that, that produce observability software, I think it could mean different things to different organizations. There isn't like a playbook per se. There might be, you know, general guidelines and and um, kind of overarching themes and problems that that we're all trying to solve for our customers uh, but I'm excited to see the evolution of observability and, and really integrating um, AI ops in the future and, and really expanding on those capabilities. I think that it's it's an exciting time. Awesome. 
Great topic about observability today. So next we're gonna roll into our segment of rapid fire questions, especially for our guest. So Ashley, we're gonna kick things off. Um, you are gonna get some of the same questions our past folks get. Speaking of past, this one's my favorite. Ashley, would you rather travel if there were time travel to the past or future? My gut reaction is the future. Um, I think, you know, we can learn as much. We've experienced our own version of the past and, uh, you know, past beyond my birth date. Uh, you know, you can educate yourself as much as possible through history books and what have you. But uh, I would be more intrigued by the future, I guess. Love that. I have another rapid fire question for you. Um, what is your favorite tech invention? I would honestly say uh, weather apps. I'm very. I have several of them. I like to. I like to track the moon phase. Um, I. I've always been interested. My mom always had a big interest in uh, meteorology, not in any professional sense. Just that she was always very aware of what the weather forecast was going to be. And I think it's so interesting because it just it affects so much of people's you know, day to day. And as much as we do know about it, it can still be very unpredictable as those in the Austin, Texas area might have experienced with the crazy freeze that we had over the last week or so. Um, so I kind of find that fascinating. So I'm going to steal one, of, again, one of my favorites, uh, Ashley, when it comes to flavors, sweet or spicy. I will go with sweet on that one. My friends uh, who know me well know that I have a legit addiction to regular Coca-Cola, not diet, go regular all day, and chocolate chip cookies. So sweet for me. Hold on. Is that like as a combo or like they go hand in hand or just individually addicted? I mean, there have been times that they have gone hand <laughs> in hand. Sweet Sweets yeah. are my kryptonite. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> no, I like I like that. I like that. If you're a fan of chocolate chip cookies, Ashley, I have a recommendation for you. Sorry, Sean, this is an Austin-based recommendation, but it's Teddy's Cookies. Oh my goodness. They're like the thickest. It's like eating cookie dough. It's just delicious. I think I, think I have seen this, and my nephew's name is Teddy, so particular affection for that. Love it. Perfect. I'll go ahead and ask the next one. When are you most productive, would you say? I have typically throughout life always been quite a night person. Um, I've found that I get crazy bursts of energy from, you know, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Uh, that's changed a little bit in my later years and <laughs> just managing a regular nine to five work schedule. I have gotten much better at mornings and enjoy them, but um, I typically, yeah, I, I find my energy in the, the very late afternoon, evening hours more than more than in the morning, I have to say. Okay, this is similar to your past or future question. If it were an option and we had a city in space, would you live there? Even if it was just for, an, uh, you know, like a vacation, would you, would you live there or go live there for six months, a year? I like the, I like the time limit on it because that makes it easier to answer. I would say yes. Um, I know my sister will laugh if she listens to this because I have uh, a bit of claustrophobia. So I feel like the the journey in getting there might be a little difficult. But um, the idea of like pioneering that adventure, leaving a mark on history, being 
one of the first people to live in space. Yeah, I, I would be I would be cool with that. Okay, good. I like it. I like it. The sense of adventure. <laughs> Adventurous spirit. So I, I'd like to know what are some of your passions outside of technology? Of course, I, I know a little bit, but let's let the listeners get a peek into your passions outside of technology. You do. Um, yes, I would say probably one of the first ones that comes up is uh, ballet. I grew up dancing classical ballet. I'm, I have tickets to the ballet this Friday. I'm very excited about. So listening to classical music and composers goes along with that as well. Um, if you could see behind me, I've got a, a French film poster. So I studied, actually studied film in college in the, in the communications school. So quite a, a cinephile and then also was a big Francophile for uh, many years and then had the opportunity to actually live in Paris for three years. So um, outside of that, yes, yeah, speaking some languages. Um, and a fun fact is that I have not missed one episode of SNL Saturday Night Live since I was in the sixth grade. So many, wow. many months ago, but, uh, yeah, big fan of comedy and, and, uh, late night. So yeah. Just some languages. I feel, I feel good about my hobbies now. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been a ton of fun. Thank you for joining us today, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Sean. And thanks again, everyone, for joining us. It's been a pleasure. This is bittersweet because this is my last TechPod episode, but I've really enjoyed um, really enjoyed recording these episodes and learning more about topics as the time has gone on. So thank you, everyone. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe and follow for more TechPod content. Thanks for tuning in.